Well, hey, friends, Jonathan here, your content producer over at Stay Forth Designs. I want to welcome you back to another episode of the Right Side Up Leadership Podcast for the last time in 2020. Alan, I'm excited to be here, man. How about you? I am pumped. Well, first of all, we made it. So let's just celebrate that. And I say this phrase sometimes uh, that sometimes surviving is thriving. So if you're listening to this, you've made it. We've made it through 2020. Um, But honestly, when I look back at the podcast this year, Jonathan, I think we've more than made it. We've had some amazing guests. Some of you guys have reached out and said, man, this was such a good conversation. I went and bought the book. This has changed my life our staff, our team, our church. Some of you guys listen every single episode twice a week. Some of you guys kind of listen for highlights. We're just so grateful that you guys would listen. And so, uh, man, when I look back on this year, uh, I'm just grateful, you know, and and I'm grateful for all of our guests. We've had some incredible guests. Um, We're going to highlight some of these today and also in our next episode. So we're going to kind of look back at the last few months because we have so many good episodes coming at you we didn't want you guys to miss, and we have some fire clips from those. But as I kind of zoomed out, Jonathan, and reflected on the year, um, I see reflection on experience really being the theme this year. We decided not to make everything about COVID, but to say, we have a moment here. And that phrase, don't waste a crisis, kept coming back up. And so sometimes we just needed to talk. We weren't available to be able to go out to coffee like we normally would with other leaders in our city and have the same kind of staff conversations. And so we wanted to bring those on the air. So I think they got particularly real and particularly raw uh, this year. I, I just read a quote that I think resonated with our podcast. Educator John Dewey says, we don't learn from experience. We learn by reflecting on experience. And this year we took the chance to reflect on the experience. What are we going through? We were trying to name a lot of things. And I thought our guests did an incredible job of being vulnerable right in the middle of it. It just felt authentic and real. The podcast had a ton of punch this year. And so I I would encourage you to listen to this episode and the next one, but also maybe just go back and scroll through. Maybe there's some names you haven't heard of, but the topics uh, you think, man, I really learned a lot about this. Um, And so we're going to try to highlight some of our favorites, but man, it's like picking your favorite kid. Like, come on, we can't pick our favorite episodes, but we are going to try. So we're going to give you... Um, some of our favorites uh, in this episode and the next one. I mean, last year we were one a week, 52 episodes. This week, we, this year we doubled it. I mean, you guys obviously love listening to it. We love curating the conversations. Now we doubled it to twice a week. So that is a lot to go through. And man, I got to say, it's hard to pick. So hard. So hard. We, we record these ahead of time. You edit and listen to them ahead of time. Um, so we did the best job we could uh, really from the last just a uh, couple months, really this last quarter, we picked some of the, some of our favorites. And I won't just say favorites in terms of people. We love all the guests, but just things that I thought really hit in the moment. Um, these are these are some really good and really intense uh, conversations that we had. So uh, let's do this, man. All right, man. So let's get it started. What is your first episode? All right, man. So kicking it off for my first one is Josh Surratt. Josh is the lead pastor of Seacoast Church. Seacoast has had a national influence, and you may think uh, that a larger church is immune to discouragement. And I love that Josh went straight at this idea of discouragement. We all feel it. There's polarization right now, complexity, criticism. If you're feeling those things, 
Just say that you're human, you're normal. Oh yeah, if you're a leader, you're filling them at a different level. Josh opens up his heart to us. And I thought this was really helpful advice, thoughts, and even his own story of discouragement. Enjoy this. I think the the factor that sort of pours fuel onto the fire is this social world that we live in, right? It's not that people are just talking behind your back or you know irritated with you face to face. It's they are posting their opinions you know, to the world, uh, on social media and you just have to sit back and watch it and you have to sit back and take it. And so, uh, and then it's funny, we just reopened a couple of weeks ago here at Seacoast and, um, then the email started coming in of how irresponsible are you? I'm like, we've been closed for six months, uh, but how irresponsible. And I can't believe that you're doing that and you're really going to worship. And, you know, I saw some people that didn't have masks on, although we're requiring them, uh, and and we were like, oh man, we haven't heard from any of these people, and it's because they weren't mad at us yet. Uh, but once we made a decision that didn't line up with what they how they see the world, you know, um, uh, we, we've taken criticism from that end. And then uh, things, everything is a fifty fifty issue right now. Everything is a polarizing. Do you require masks? Do you not? You know, everybody's excited that we're open, but then it's like, uh, I'm not coming back until you stop requiring masks mm. or man, they're not wearing masks enough. You know, so it just feels like we live in a season where um, every issue is complicated. It's uh, it's hot. And, and, you know, maybe some of you out there, you live for the controversy. I know there are some pastors that, man, part of their shtick is that, man, I say the thing that is, you know, going to stir the pot. We are like the opposite. We live to encourage people. We want to be a voice of hope. We want to be a voice of encouragement. And so, um, so yeah, we're just uh, we're doing the best that we can, but taking criticism um, from from all kinds of people. And many of them are people that I don't know if you guys relate to this or not, but I got people that have told me for years, "I got your back. I'll take a bullet for you." But but as soon as an issue, uh, we start speaking about an issue that they're uncomfortable with. Um, and this is not the masses by and large, people have been awesome. Right. But the, the nature of the beast is we listen to the couple negative voices over the hundreds of encouraging voices that we have, but it's like, man, as soon as other people started shooting, it felt like you grabbed a gun and started shooting with them. Uh, and, and so you feel like you've got these friends that were, were all in for you and then they, uh, they turn their back. So, yeah, I mean, I'm sorry to be so down, but to talk about discouragement, I think just acknowledging, man, we lead a great church. We lead a large church and we are not immune from, uh, from discouragement. Uh, we, in fact, I feel like we're, we've hit it at an all time high over the last couple of months. And, um, so then you throw in our case, we had a, a pastor on our staff, a very close friend. He was my ministry coach that took his life over the summer. Um, and so, uh, that just hit us out of the blue. And so you're dealing with your own grief. You're trying to lead a church through grieving one of their teaching pastors. Uh, you're trying to, to support a family that you love and care deeply about. Um, and it feels like things have happened at such a pace, uh, that by the time we started to really even process our own grief, there's, there's, uh, George Floyd happens, right. And you're trying to engage this conversation, uh, around, uh, racial injustice and you're trying to engage people in it, you know, so it's, it's just, um, there, there's a lot coming at us. And so if you feel discouraged today, um, I would just say that's very normal. You're in good company. You're in good company. We don't have to stay there. Uh, it's okay to be discouraged. In fact, one of the cheesy things that we say around here is that it's okay to sit on the pity potty, right? Uh, that's like an old school phrase, just don't stay there long enough to get ring around the hiney. Like as a leader, we don't have, 
we don't have the luxury of staying discouraged. It's okay to be discouraged, but we don't have we don't have the luxury to stay discouraged. Honestly, none of us should, but uh, we're, we're not going to be able to lead effectively if we if we don't find ways to to encourage ourselves in the Lord to to find encouragement in our lives. All right, Jonathan, I'm going to kick it over to you, man. What do you have for your first selection? And I really, I love Steve. I love everything he does. He's a great friend of Stay Forth, a great leader. I'm going to go episode 137 with Steve Cuss as he really, he unpacks leadership anxiety. And I think this is a year that's been full of anxiety on different levels. And we really haven't been in a place to name it. And Steve presents some solid information where we're able to sit back and really, and it's uncomfortable, but it's healthy to sit back and identify the different types of anxiety we carry, name it, and then press through it. Yeah, obviously anxiety is a giant word. Everyone knows the word, but but in, in what we're talking about is the kind of anxiety a leader carries. And so people say, oh, I'm not really anxious because they think anxiety is worry and fear. But leadership anxiety is any kind of thing that you carry that your team catches. Like uh, one of the things that's just patently true is a tense leader generates a tense team. But if you can be a grounded leader or a calm leader, you can actually infect your team. And, and the difference there is, is being aware of your leadership anxiety, which is what's going on under the surface in you that you may or may not be aware of and how it gets in the way of your well-being and then your team's well-being. That would be like in a nutshell, like what leadership anxiety is. And every leader, whether you know it or not, every leader carries some level of leadership anxiety. And this fall, we're, we're in the heart of this fall, in the heart of this challenging year. Can you name some of the causes of anxiety that we are all wrestling through right now? Yeah, that's a great question. There are, there are just certain causes that is going to make anybody anxious, no matter how you're wired. One of them, and probably the one that's most relevant, is ambiguity. Uh, anytime you don't know what to do, and particularly when you're a leader, you actually have to do something. And you have to lead into an unknown. Like I know there are certain kinds of leaders that really energizes you. You like the unknown. But over time, ambiguity is going to make you anxious. Uh, also, uh, as you're surely aware, we are in uh, an election year. And so just hostility, people's strong opinions, particularly if you're, a, let's talk to faith leaders real quick. If you're a faith leader and you have any kind of political diversity in your church, you're probably carrying quite a bit of anxiety, just managing the tension of differing opinions. Uh, so those would be two things. That, but, but the bread and butter, if, if a leader wants to start to figure out uh, what makes them anxious? All they have to do is put themselves in a situation where they don't know what to do and then just pay attention to what's going on in them and that'll kind of help them sort out uh, some of their anxiety. All right, man. So I'm going to lob this one back over to you. We've got a couple of good ones on so far. So let's keep it going. What's your next one and why? Well, obviously this year brought racial upheaval and, and really even racial reckoning in a lot of organizations and, and teams and churches. And so we wanted to lean into that. We lean into hard and crucial conversations. And so we did our Dear White Leaders series of six episodes. We encourage you to go back and listen to that. But we wanted to, to bring it back again uh, and talk about that. Just a couple months ago, episode 146, I had Brian Loritz on just deeply respect Brian. I read his book, Insider, Outsider, and he talks about sort of not feeling at home uh, in different cultures, maybe even being a cultural hybrid in many ways in the church. I so respect Brian. 
And we talk honestly about race. We talk honestly about um, even education around race in this episode. Would encourage you to listen to the whole thing, but I thought this snippet was particularly helpful as I and hopefully you continue to learn, continue to grow and in humility and a posture of humility, just learning in or leaning in and learning from an incredible leader like Brian. So I hope you learn a lot from this. You know, I had a traumatic experience in Bible college where a, um, uh, a white classmate of mine uh, called me a uh, very racially insensitive term. And uh, that set me on an emotional uh, tailspin. And it was kind of my first time really having to process evangelical hypocrisy. Um, and I didn't process it well to the point where when I graduated, um, I knew I was going to the black church and my assumption was I would always be in the black church in some way, shape or form. Um, and then what started to happen in my mid to late in my mid twenties, um, God called me out of the black church to go across town to a white church, large white church, where I was our first African-American pastor on staff in the history of that church. And that's some hundred plus years wow. at the time. And God sent me there to really do a healing work in my life. And then the itinerant ministry starting to grow. And I realized that I'm speaking in homogenous environments. They're either all white or all black. And um, I'll never forget um, my mid to late 20s, I spoke at this event, um, and it was a Christmas conference in the same city. They did two of them. One was for their white uh, college ministry, and the other was for what they called their urban college ministry, which is code for black. And I spoke at the same one 10 minutes apart. Wow. And I, I just remember thinking, you know, um, this is a this is a bit much. It's a little ridiculous, and um, there's a there's a hole in the wall, and I want to I want to see people uh, come together. And so that was a very uh, very much so a catalytic moment for me uh, in my own growth and development. Um, yeah, mm. and in Insider Outsider, you say what makes white evangelicalism problematic is that it has never truly been submit or sub, never truly submitted itself to simply one of many perspectives within the buffet of American Christianity. All right, man, let's camp on this. How can white evangelicals deepen and widen our perspectives of faith and theology and depth here? Yeah, first, um, it, you know, I, I need to set the listeners authentically at ease. Um, you know, I wrote an article some years ago called white is not a four letter word. And, um, in our current milieu, it's become really fashionable, uh, to make people feel guilty for white, for, for being white. Um, and so that's not where I'm coming from at all. Um, but if you study the history of Christianity in the United States, um, the ancestors of modern day evangelicalism were the Puritans. Um, and the Puritans, you know, you read their books. Um, I, I, I mentioned this in Insider Outsider. Um, man, it's, it's beautiful and your affections are stirred, uh, to use their phrasing. Um, and even though they're, they're, they've got an incredible soteriology, but they had a very flawed anthropology. Um, many of them owned slaves. Jonathan Edwards owned slaves. 
uh, Cotton Mather, um, the famous Cotton Mather, when he was negotiating his pastoral package deal at a, at a church in Massachusetts, um, he had thrown into his compensation a, uh, a slave whom he would go on to name Onesimus. Um, George Whitfield uh, lobbied the state of Georgia to legalize slavery because he was trying to get funding for his orphanage, which he wanted to base on the plantation model. So these, this is, this is where, where I'm coming from here. And so you get um, the forefathers of evangelicalism who are white, who had incredible soteriology, but a very flawed anthropology. They're occupying seats of religious power. In the context of slavery, what, what are they doing? They are, they are discipling slaves into this evil hierarchy called race. And so the history of white evangelicalism has always been from the box seats of power. And it was kind of their way or the highway. All right, Jonathan, what do you got? All right, next up, I'm going to go episode 143 with Daniel Fusco. I love this conversation. I love both times Fusco has been on the podcast. Great guy, great leader. And the topic that you guys discussed was finding opportunity and discouragement through growth. And we've all grown this year. And we've all been pushed in with our backs against the corner, have been forced to step outside of our comfort zones in many different ways. And so I love the way he talks about finding the opportunity when you're in an uncomfortable space and especially dealing with discouragement. So enjoy this clip from episode 143 with Daniel Fusco. Well, yeah, it's like, I love what you said, Alan, because there's no doubt that, you know, we're all growing every day and, and whether as individuals or as individuals leading organizations, like, you know, I've always heard it said like healthy things grow, but the thing is, is actually not all healthy things grow. Like cancer grows too. Right. And so, so the thing is, is that like, we always want it, like when we're seeing growth in one area, it, it also could be a corresponding kind of negative growth in another area. So, so like, I know, like for us as an organization, we had been doing kind of the digital ministry kind of long before COVID. And so when, when churches were not able to meet, we were already well, an, a well-oiled digital ministry. And so we were able to like 10 X what we were doing because all the things were like, well, when we get some bandwidth. We're going to do this and this and this, all we had was bandwidth. And so we kind of, you know, we already had those muscles also for us as a church, almost everyone in our church had watched Crossroads online at some point because we had been doing it for so long and they had a sick kid or on vacation. So it wasn't like a, we have to get people used to how to find us online. And, and so we grew a lot, but it has been really odd because, you know, when I talk to, you know, as I've been trying to coach leaders and help them navigate some of this, I feel bad where they're like, yeah, like, are you guys growing in numbers online? We're like, yeah, like we're, we've never been bigger online. Um, and, but it is hard because you realize that in the midst of what's going on, there's so many different uh, parts of this experience and, and, and I don't want to be boastful, you know, it's just, that's just the reality. And like, if you look at like what's going on with Amazon, obviously, if you look at uh, even on the stock market, the big tech, you know, whether it's Google, Facebook and, and, and Amazon and Apple, they're all growing like crazy right now because, you know, instead of going to a store, everyone's using Amazon instead of, you know, uh, you know, watching things, you're people are, are glued to their social media right now. And so, uh, I think that's a good reminder that when crazy things happen, it does create opportunities if we're uh, willing and able and, and, and kind of risk, you know, not risk averse too much to jump in. 
All right, man, back for one more. This is a great one so far. I want to go back and re-listen to these myself. So what is your last one and, uh, and why? All right, I've got Hannah Granowski. This is episode 136. Hannah is one of those amazing young leaders that I'm so encouraged by. I've had the opportunity to kind of put my hand on the shoulder of a lot of younger leaders, connect with a lot of uh, younger influencers and, and leaders that are saying, I don't care what position I have or don't have, I am going to be part of a generation that lives differently. She leads the organization Generation Distinct. She also wrote the book with the same title. Uh, and I just love Hannah's passion for the gospel, but also this passion to say, we are not going to miss this moment. Never waste a crisis. And if you think about what it would be like to be in your 20s, to be a young leader in the midst of such crisis right now, haven't faced anything quite like this, maybe even haven't faced too many seasons of hard anything and to be hit by this. I know a lot of young leaders were hit hard by this. I love Hannah and her posture. So I hope you enjoy and are even inspired by the passion of this awesome young leader. Enjoy this clip from Hannah Granowski. Honestly, I think the best ways that I've been seeing it are the individuals who are truly doing it and they're not no one knows about it. Like it's the friends that I know who are showing up at people's doorsteps because they heard they just lost their job after COVID and they're sitting there for three hours talking to that person through, through a screen door and they're caring for that person um, who's a single mom, right? Or, it, or it's the person who literally had to call out and a family gathering and somebody said a racist comment and they had to speak in front of their entire family and say, Hey, I need you to know that was a racist comment, right? Or or it's the moments when, you know, like one thing I did at the very beginning and this wasn't like, oh, look at me, you know, this is what I did at the beginning. But like, I just started calling, you know, food pantries. I said, what do you need? And how can I help? And how can I run errands for neighbors? And, and it was the little things. And I think what's special about that is that's so not normal for young eaters. We're, we're honestly really bad at doing things that aren't on social media. Like we just are, we think everything needs to be captured and we don't get credit if it's not on there. And so I've been noticing that it's really truly when we're, when we're doing things and don't care whether or not it's being captured, um, that is actually changing, changing things. Um, and, and I'll, I'll speak to my team specifically. So my staff that I, I leave, we have 10 people on our staff and um, they're all in their 20s or, or early 30s. And so they are young leaders. They're, they're incredible. And what I've watched them do is they have invested themselves so deeply into, for example, this vision of Generation Instinct with very little recognition. And I thought during COVID, they would kind of shrink back. I thought they would be kind of, you know, more distant because some of them had to like go to different places around the country. We were more remote than we used to. I thought there would be this apathy that sat in, honestly. But what I realized is that there was this grit that set in where they started to just go and invest and want to have something to, to live for almost. They wanted to have something to invest in. And so I think I'm seeing young, I actually think COVID is going to be really, really healthy for this generation because there was something about it that gave us a grit there's something about us that, that sobered us up a little bit that made it not quite as easy or glamorous to be in ministry that I think we needed. Um, and I think we'll mark what the future of the church looks like. Yeah, agreed. Beyond that grit, um, how do you hope that 2020 shapes your generation? Mm, yeah. 
I really, really hope that 2020 is a year that when we look back and, and we we tell our kids, we tell our grandkids about it, um, yeah, there's a little bit more of this um, this solemn awe of the the capacity for evil in people. Honestly, I think. I, I'm, I'm an Enneagram seven. I always see the best in people. I always see the beauty in the world, right? I mean, we're, we're just the best number. Let's be honest, Alan, right? And I, so- I can neither confirm nor deny this. <laughs> what will be our secret? Um, and so I, that's my tendency generally. And I think in many ways, our generation, we love, we love to celebrate the celebrities, the really beautiful people, the really successful people, the great people. But there was some- there was some um, reckoning I think our generation had to do this year of saying, you know, when Kobe Bryant went down in that plane, that was humbling because we realized, wait, celebrities are humans too, right? And then, you know, COVID came and we realized, wait, we're not all as as immune as we thought we were. We thought we were so successful and we could we could control us and we could lead out of anything because we're these super there's these superheroes, right? And and then we saw, you know. Ahmaud Aubrey and then Ronna Taylor and then George Floyd and like all these all these situations that happen and we re- we recognize the the evil in our world and then even all of the things coming out with human trafficking and there's just so much in our world right now that we're having to come to terms with and I'm hoping that our generation has a little bit more of an honest picture of what's actually happening in our world and we're letting it affect us and that we're letting it grieve us so that we can go out and be a little bit more sensitive, a little bit more culturally aware and actually have the information to make Mm -hmm. us good activists instead of just blindly going into the world and claiming we understand something that we don't. Mm -hmm. I think we're understanding we don't know as much as we think we we thought we did. Well, man, I don't know about you. I wanted to say that these clips were solid, but they're phenomenal. So good. All of the conversations this year have been timely They've been needed. Um, Some of them have been very uncomfortable to listen to, but in a good way. And in the forced growth that we've all been forced to navigate, these conversations, for me personally, have served as sort of a a anchor point or a waypoint to keep my compass headed in the right direction. So I'm thrilled to go through these and I'm thrilled uh, for next year. And I hope that everyone listening, as we get to the end of the show, uh, spend some time reflecting. We're all eagerly awaiting the clock to hit 1201 on 2021. And before we know it, it's gonna be here. And and I hate to say everyone's gonna be probably really excited. But there's been a lot of good this year. So I want to challenge you to reflect on the good and what you've learned this year. And so, Alan, I want to jump ahead to the end of 2021. When you look back at the end of 2021, where do you hope to have grown next year? I hope that I look back a a year from now and I and others around me can say that I'm more grounded. I mean, that's really the word for me, uh, grounded in my identity not shaken um, as much by failure or by even loss or grief, suffering even. Um, But also just more, I think with being grounded is being more engaged, being more engaged with my kids. I mean, really being so intentional to look away from so many of the distractions, to look in their eyes and be very present with people. And so that word grounded, if somebody could say that a year from now, is Alan, I see you more grounded than you were 12 months ago. 
um, I would I would see that as as a huge victory for the next year. Shine, shine, shine. We ain't focused so long.